Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Pyramid Air. At Pyramid Air, they believe air guns are for everyone, from big game hunting to fun trigger time to firearm training. Big selection, fast shipping, the air gun experts. Find out more at pyramidair.com. And also, Sun South. Does quality equipment really make a difference? Well, just climb into that legendary yellow seat on a John Deere from Sun South and see for yourself. They'll help you get the right tractor with the right implements to meet your needs. And SunSouth makes owning a John Deere easy and more affordable than ever during their Summer of Savings event with 0% financing up to 72 months on a select equipment. Do more, save more with John Deere from SunSouth. Equipment for those that do. Some restrictions apply. See dealer for details. Expires June 30th, 2021. And also brought to you by Brush Clearing Services. Are you interested in building a healthy, sustainable habitat for a wide range of wildlife? If so, Brush Clearing Services and their 20 years of wildlife management experience should be your first choice. Brush Clearing Services, environmental clearing treatment selectively removes vegetation, leaving desirable trees and root structures undisturbed. Mulch left on site accelerates natural decomposition and reduces soil erosion while increasing soil moisture. Check out their full line of property and land services at Brush Clearing services.com or call them 706-718-1690. Well, guys, on this week's show, we're going to be talking about something that doesn't get a lot of attention. Pines tend to dominate the discussion when it comes to forestry and it comes to timberland ownership. But today we're going to be talking about hardwoods and specifically bottomland hardwoods. We're going to be helping you identify if you have bottomlands on your property, uh, what to look for, how to determine that, and then what you need to do to manage them. Clint, you've got a good bit of experience in dealing with bottomland hardwoods. I, I know myself hunting in these areas, just I can't think of a place I'd rather be, honestly, than a, than a bottomland hardwood forest on a crisp fall day. <laughs> I mean, it's some of the best hunting out there. What, what do you have to add to that? I mean, is this, is this one of your favorite habitats or your favorite habitat? It is, but it's one of the more intimidating ones to try to think about how to manage it or if you're going to put a saw in it, you know, how to do it effectively without screwing up. And that's why most people really choose to just stay out of them, which, you know, sometimes that's the things to do and sometimes it's not. But it's, you know, it, it's like any other natural forest or setting like that, but especially with, with bottomland hardwood, you just got to be really careful and walk with a light foot in and just make sure that you don't mess anything up uh, this is going to take a long time to fix. Yeah, it may be something that uh, even your grandkids may not see get back right if you make the wrong decision or work with the wrong folks. So, you know, one of those folks I can tell you that you you want to work with is Jody Pagan. He is a wetlands biologist who has co-authored more than a dozen research publications on the, all right, Clint, I'm going to try to get this right, hydrogeomorphic methodology approach, HGM, to wetland functional <laughs> assessment across the entire Mississippi alluvial valley. He's the co-owner of Ecosystems Protection Service, works for the USDA, NRCS, and wetland restoration across the state of Arkansas. He's also the chairman of the research committee for the Five Oaks Ag Research and Education Center, and also the chief biologist and guide at Five Oaks Duck Lodge. Jody, was that, uh, was that accurate introduction for you? Yeah, it makes me sound like I have a lot of caps that I wear in the world. It makes huh? you sound like uh, you might know a little bit about 
bottomland hardwoods. And uh, But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about what you do with Ecosystems Protection Service. So our company, Ecosystem Protection Service, we do a lot of consulting all over the world, and, and it's mainly focused on bottomland hardwood and waterfowl and moist soil management and waterfowl. So I've even been over in Argentina in the Goja uh, area, Corrientes province, working on moist soil management for a, a, a couple of clients there uh, for rosy build and ducks, silver teal, that kind of thing. But but my background and my focus has always been since my beginning of my career in 1994 has been focused on bottomland hardwood management and restoration. And so years of experience in restoration, doing reforestation, building um, moist soil impoundments, and then teaching those out in the landscape that were in the farm bill programs or private sector people that weren't how to manage those properties, properties to, you know, highest yield, highest and best use for each acre of, of land. So I've developed a lot of farms for people in the Mississippi Valley, you know, as big as 10,000 acres uh, and as small as five acres, you know, it's about, it's a, it's an acreage count with me. It always has been my goal before I'm dead. I wanted a million acres that I had, been on touched and helped someone manage or restore. And so I would say that I'm not real far off of that with some of the sizable pieces that I've worked on over the years with the federal government. So uh, everybody has to have a go. Mine just had to be that we're going to put back, you know, as many acres of, of uh, wetland as we could. Well, so that's, that's me, Joe wetlands, ducks and bottomland hardwood. That's really all I focused on for, well, it's 27 going in 28 years of my career. I know that Clint has probably been in bottomland hardwood since he was old enough to pull on a pair of uh, knee-high boots. I, however, did not cut my teeth in the bottomlands. You know, I was always in the uplands and have recently become uh, a landowner of some bottomland hardwoods. And that's a lot of selfishly the reason for the show is, so I, you know, me personally, I can learn more about this ecosystem and learn how to manage it correctly. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are just like me. The first question I had when I looked at, at this forest type was, is this bottomland hardwood? So am I, how can I, and how can a landowner establish if they've got bottomlands or uplands, uh, if they're staring at hardwoods, what are the characteristics of, of a bottomland hardwood forest? <clears throat> okay. So that really long word and series of words that you used, the HGM approach or hydrogeomorphic methodology, we, we kind of separate different bottomland tracks into two different groups. We have flats wetlands that are outside the five-year floodplain, and we have those wetlands that fall below the five-year floodplain. So the flats wetlands that are bottomland hardwood, which we call a lot of times flatwoods, hardwood flatwoods, kind of like pine flatwoods in Florida. Y'all are really close to Florida, so I know if you've driven across down maybe even close to Apalachicola and seen miles, a thousand acre units of really wet, flat pine. Mm -hmm. Okay. The only difference between that and a hardwood flatwood is the fire frequency that was established that stand. So it could have been hardwood flatwoods, but we didn't cause we didn't burn it or it could have been frequently burned and been pine flatwoods. So what, Normally, people think of bottomland hardwood would be floodplain forest or riverine forest, like the White River, the Mississippi River, Alluvial Valley, uh, the Savannah River bottom in Georgia. So it would be inundated, 
periodically inundated or saturated by surface water or groundwater during the growing season. That's the real key to knowing if it is, in fact, a bottomland hardwood site. The trees that are in an upland site would not be uh, physiologically or morphologically adapted to live in those conditions. So I think the other day when you and I were on the phone, I said, you know, when you plug up a ditch, well, the beaver plugs up a ditch in a hardwood stand, you're not going to see the higher species walk down in the hill into the water. You're going to see them walk up the hill. So we really need to focus on um, uh, is it hydrophytic vegetation? Is it supersaturated soils? And do these trees have adaptations to live in a inundated or saturated soil? And, and, and let me add this. If you live anywhere in most of the United States, the NRCS and the Corps of Engineers regulate the Clean Water Act. And so if you have a track of land, they probably already know it's wetland or not wetland by looking at your FSA map, Farm Service map, because they delineate those wetlands on any existing farms and not necessarily timberlands, but on farmlands, you know, where you have mm-hmm. a mixed mixture of row crops and that. But, you know, also the species composition, Joe's, how we indictively look at it when we're out there, whether it's water or not. If you have overcup oak, nut all oak, willow oak, uh, laurel oak, water oak, you're, you're probably sitting in the bottomland forest or you're sitting in somebody's yard in downtown uh, Atlanta, Georgia, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I know exactly what you mean. And, uh, you know, you are obviously very passionate about bottomlands. So what, what makes them so special to you? I mean, why should people care uh, about bottomlands? Well, in the early uh, 60s, just in the Mississippi Alluvial Valley alone, we we're losing catastrophic levels of, of, of uh, bottomland hardwood. And many species of avian species were extirpated from Mississippi Alluvial Valley. But if you really want to put it in one ball of wax, Joe, I've duck hunted since I was five years old. That's all I've really ever cared about, duck hunting, although I hunt a lot of different species. I'm passionate to save the habitat for the ducks and for the deer and for the turkey. And being a wildlife and wetlands biologist, you know, I felt intrigued that we had lost so much. You know, 72% of the bottomland hardwood in Arkansas is gone. And that's where I live is in Stuttgart, Arkansas. And it seemed to me a tragedy that we could basically destroy everything that we love by either mismanagement or clearing it up and putting crops on it. So when I was offered a job in 1994 uh, with the USDA NRCS to start implementing the WRP and WRE program, which is Wetland Reserve Easement Program, I was like, absolutely, let's put as many acres on the ground as we possibly can for the ducks and for the wildlife. So 15 years later, no, 20, 21 years later, I, I got uh, received an award called the Rex Hancock Award from the uh, Wildlife Society. And it's a kind of a big deal in Arkansas, but Rex Hancock stopped the Corps from dredging the Cache River through what is now presently the Cache River Wildlife Refuge. And so it was neat that guys like that saved a little bit that was left, you know, and then we got to pick up and go and restore uh, those acres uh, in the future. And we're still doing a, a, a good job of that and having good participants from the land landowners to, to restore the wetlands. What I love about that story, and I hear it over and over and over again, it doesn't matter if it's bottomland hardwoods or any other type of habitat, 
is that what drove you to it was, was the love of the wildlife and, you know, being a hunter first is what drove you to this. And that, you know, and, and it's like, you hear this over and over and over hunting, you know, in that way of life is what drives people to, to care about the resource. And I don't see that, you know, out of other groups as much. I mean, you'll find, you'll see some people that just love the, they just love the woods, but usually they've got a multiple resource management type of reason. And, and that's why hunters are, you know, such great conservationists. But, you know, speaking of that, I'm sitting here, I'm staring at this, this new forest that, I, you know, that I purchased and, uh, or, and this stand of hardwoods and I'm going, man, every tree in here is older than me. I want to do what's right for this place. And which means I'm not scared to break out the chainsaw or get loggers in here. If, if that's what needs to be done, but I don't want to mess up because I don't feel like I can correct that mistake in my lifetime is, is how I feel at the moment. You're absolutely right. <laughs> you know, when you, when you first sit down with a landowner and you, you, you know, they're, they're looking to you to guide them. What's the first thing they need to ask you or ask themselves? And how do you establish this, this management plan that you're talking about? Well, that's, it's kind of ironic. Last Saturday, I met a guy and he, he was a, a very good client. And he was telling me, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And I, you know, I, I back up and I say, we have to know where we are before we know where we're going. And I use that analogy a lot. You know, I'm going to, I say, do you have a PhD in wetland science? Do you have a PhD in forestry? If you do, why do you need me? So here's my, uh, my total approach since even the early nineties has been a multidisciplinary approach to any property renovation or restoration that we've ever done so if anybody tells you they know everything you might as well fire them to begin with okay so uh, you know just just basic principles of bottomland hardwood forestry from stand from understanding the different phases of succession i mean joe do you go out there if you think it's stand initiation is it in stem exclusion phase is it in understory reinitiation or is it in steady state you know is that something you feel comfortable that if it's steady state then you know you can say jody you know this is an old forest over the telephone and i'll go okay well then we really need to treat it really really special because as i just told you we've lost so much we've lost so much function and value across the southern southeastern United States, there are some organisms that are barely hanging on. And you go, well, well Jody, you love to hunt. Why are you worried about a neotropical migrant songbird? <laughs> and that's where, that's where ecosystem-based management was born. It was born in the, in the 80s, really through the Forest Service, and that was kind of my earliest jobs in the 90s were to look at different uh, silvicultural activities that were done actually in the uplands because I, you know, I didn't have any payload on wetlands at that time, but just for a few years, I was a botanist and, and watching and, and taking these diversity studies at, the, at these different cultural activities. And so that's always churned in my gut for 30 years, you know, that the refuges and everybody's went to this ecosystem based and I go, well, I better be worried about the little neotropical migrant songbird because guess what? My mallard duck may be next. And in fact, we know that's the, the truth because a healthy ecosystem is going to support all those critters that need that habitat. And 
our habitat in the southeast, or a lot of shore of it was what? Bottomland hardwood. So mm-hmm. those species that utilized that relied on that. And so we fragmented it and fragmented it and we lose the big blocks. So the bigger blocks have the higher diversity, which have the more of the ducks and the deer and the turkey. So I guess where I'm going with that whole deal there is you got to know the whole forest and every component within it to really know what you need to do with the whole property. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Holistic management. Yeah. I mean, like Clint's saying is every pro every property is unique. We say that all the time on here, you know, whether we're talking yeah, about uh, land you know, values talking- or whatever it may be. I mean, it, it sounds like what we say a lot, which is no matter where you are in the country, you know, you got to first, understand what you've got and then identify your goals where you want to take it because you know if you say i want to manage this place for oak and and but you don't have an oak tree to start with <laughs> if any species then that's kind of tough then you got to figure out how to get there get you know get in your lane to get to that finish line whereas some tracks some people will say well i want to i want to manage what i have the best to the best of its ability you know rather than trying to wipe the slate clean and start over and change the landscape completely and i you know i think it's it's you know, important. It sounds like you're agreeing that, you know, really understand what you've got to start with, figure out if that fits your long-term goal. And if it doesn't either figure out how to get it there or figure out how to adjust your goals. One of the two. Amen to that. You know, uh, baseline inventory or what I call an assessment That's number one, if it's all forest, then what are we going to do? We're going to cruise the timber. We're going to, I'm going to get my, my registered professional forester. I'm going to say, Hey guy, Get out there, get us a full inventory. Let's see what the stand structure looks like. Let's see what the basal area is running. Let's see what we can do. Let's talk to Joe about uh, what his objectives are, deer, turkey, quail. What, what, what is his objective in the property? Is it maximize production or maximize wildlife? Because there's a fine line on that portion, especially in the world of ducks that I live in, where production and revenue aren't the goal because of the land prices of bottomland hardwood, especially those that were made into green tree reservoirs in Arkansas. We're talking about this stuff as high as downtown uh, Atlanta, Georgia per acre. So, you know, so they're not looking at it. We're trying to bend the habitat for the waterfowl more than we are the production, but the subsidiary benefit is actually cash in hand. What we do with that cash in hand is most of the time renovate the rest of the farm. So uh, much different than pine that I grew up in, pine production and, and uh, pine timber management, where, you know, economics was the name of our game uh, back when I was a young man. So, yeah, you know, I want to take you back to something you were, you were talking about, that, that neotropical bird. And, and I like that because it reminds me a lot of some conversations we've had on here about quail management. It's, I've never been on a quail property that didn't have deer and turkeys. Right but I've been on properties that had good deer hunting and never saw quail, never heard of quail. So it's almost like, you know, by managing for quail, you have good habitat for deer. And that's what I really heard you say. So think about this. You guys have been talking fire management. I've been listening to the podcast with Brian Shepard and you and Clint. So in that fire driven system that you guys live in, in those piney woods over in Southeast, the quail was there. Well, the, the deer and the, and, the, and the turkey were there also, but it took the fire, and that's ecosystem-based management. Mm-hmm. You're putting things back into the – you're doing the disturbance mechanisms that drove the ecosystem. That, so that's when you look at 100 acres and you've got 
some long leaf that you can burn. Maybe you got some lob that you could go in and, and lower the basal area real low and burn it and have like a, a more of a quail habitat. Or maybe you got a patch of really old bottomland hardwood there that you're going to nibble on a little bit, but you're probably going to keep it pretty steady state in your lifetime because everything around you is pine plantations for five miles. So that's a special patch community. We talk about matrix communities and patch communities, alpha and beta communities. And those little patch communities can be so full of diversity and so full of really good hunting that it'll blow your mind. And so uh, that's what we're really focusing on in ecosystem, the highest and best use for every acre on any given property in function and value of how it was established and how it was before we started destroying everything. If we make those, if we bring back the function and values of those wetlands, the other things will come, I promise you. This every acre approach really plays well into my OCD. I'm, I'm loving what you're talking about because I, I mean, I think about these kind of things when I'm looking at my property, you know, I don't, I don't want to just do what's good for this 80. I want to do what's good for this acre right here and, and, and taking that approach. That being said, you know, taking you back to the, the original assessment, the timber crews, is there a type of forester that you want to look for when it comes to bottomland hardwoods? Um, yes, sir. Absolutely. We're going to find a, a bottomland hardwood forester. Somebody that ex that's an expert in it. Cause that we've talked about merchandising a lot and the dangers of having somebody involved in your timber that's missing the merchandising opportunities on a track and they can, they can leave a lot of money off the table if they don't know any better. Yes, sir. I've, I've, like I said, we grew up, my wife and I both grew up in the timber business, still have a large land holding in the South. And I've never had a problem paying my forester because he's going to market my product. He's going, he's going to be looking after me. He's no different than me going to a, a waterfowl area and working for a person that owns $20 million worth of property. I'm looking out after that guy in that waterfowl. He's your fiduciary. Hey, that's exactly right. And Just like your attorney or your real estate broker or your accountant, well, anybody else. Y'all in the business, Clint, look, well, you know, it's no different in your 401k or your RA. <laughs> somebody, somebody that's got more sense than you needs to be watching after your assets. And it, they need to have your best interest because just like uh, years ago before uh, we lost my in-laws, my forester and I sat down with my in-laws and said, look, we're going to put this thing on a trajectory for the grandkids. And you're going to benefit from it in a big way, but we're got to do this now to get to there later. And, you know, they were all in. And, and so um, that's why I like the multidisciplinary approach. You know, I've got probably 21 vendors of different subcontractors that work for me. I've got engineers and I've got foresters and I've got even other biologists with better expertise than me. So a lot of these big, big land holdings that we go and attack, you know, I've got everybody on call brian shepherd's over grinding and five dirt pans are running in a track hoe and i got the forester inventory in the woods and and uh, the engineers designing pipes and so again i just we've always been successful that way where we didn't say we knew everything we've got the right people in place to do that so that would be my biggest recommendation to anybody before any logging operation i don't care if it's pine or hardwood or bottomland hardwood we need professional people that's looking out after your best interest involved up front with a plan, with the numbers and your expectation and theirs meet in the middle. So, well, and, and, you know, jumping back to your example about the fire and the piney woods, 
I mean, to the hardwood, you know, whether it's true bottomland or upland or wherever it is, I mean, in, in a wetland setting, you know, I always, the, the layman's explanation to me that I've always hung on to is you're basically managing sunlight when you're managing that, 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 that understory. Cause if you get too tight of a canopy, uh, there's nothing happening on the ground level. You know, it's beautiful. You can see forever, but there is nothing out there for any wildlife to eat once those few acorns are gone. Well, here's a good point that you brought up yesterday when you and I were visiting. If you're going to make a sale uh, on of timber on a property, say say it's a couple of hundred acres, and say the bottom land's only a small portion of that, and say we get the forestry in, and I'm just giving you a scenario, and, and we say, really, we need to treat 40 of that 100 acres of bottom land. Well, that, that forester is going to say, man, I can't sell that much wood. I can't get a guy down here to buy that 40. He said, but if we'll cut the whole track, maybe it's mixed pine, hardwood, and pine, and this bottomland unit, and we're only going to nibble on it, maybe do some uh, single tree selection on it, then it kind of it culminates off one another, right? So you even have to strategize on that type thing, too, uh, outside of what the market's doing. If you're just a wildlife enthusiast and wanting to improve recreational habitat, that's one thing. But... So you see where I'm going with that is we may could do some group selections and a little bit of single tree selection and get that sunlight in there to get regeneration of our red oaks in a stand of bottomland hardwood. What I wouldn't want to do would be do this uh, like for years they did diameter class cuts. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they go through there and they say, look, anything over, over 18, over 24. And they put a number on that diameter class of, the nut all willow overcut water oak whatever it was in that stand and they cut it out but you had very little heterogeneity and what we're trying to do in bottomland management is to mimic gap phase dynamics and so we want not only vertical structural difference but we want horizontal vertical vertical and horizontal structure we want a lot of tree species we want to lean heavy to the hardwoods like oak and hickory and we definitely want to focus on getting herbaceous cover on the ground because that those shoots and those grasses is what feed the wildlife. But that won't happen if you go in and just, you know, you just, it's a real fine line between making a sale on timber and them not going in there and say, yeah, we'll high grade it for you. That's basically what used to happen. They'd say, yeah, we'll cut it. We know how to do that. And, and this was without the forester, you know, so, so get a good forester. I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, we did a show on uneven aged management and pine and I've had some people reach out to me about that show and they said, man, that sounds complicated. And I said, well, I mean, woods are complicated, you know, I mean, what do you, what do you want? I mean, you got, <laughs> it yeah. is complicated. That's what deal with it. You know, I mean, if you want to have the, the, the benefit, you got to deal with it. Well, you, you want, it's complicated to, to us. It's not complicated to the man that knows what he's doing with that paint gun. Right. When he's do, when, when he's doing it for you and not for his pocketbook. I mean, when he when he knows how to look up and say, "All right, when I take this this oak out, I'm gonna create a half acre of sunlight here." And when they fail this tree, it's gonna hit that one. And they know how to plant all this acre by acre through your whole stand. Then you know they're out there, you know, pruning this like a rose garden, and they know what they're doing. Then it's not complicated to them, but it can be to you. And if and if somebody's only worried about the little front end expense and it can really bite them in the long term but if you do it right and you engage somebody that knows what they're doing you can have a, a really a, a truly treasured forest that's producing a lot of wildlife benefits and economical benefits for you for generations jody i can see clint out there in in his hardwoods you know back in college he took his wife out there and he said darling this is my 
rose garden. You see how I'm just, <laughs> just managing this. So just, I'm sure she was super impressed, Clint. Yeah, she was just mainly concerned about the mosquitoes and snakes. Uh, <laughs> well, it's it's uh, ironic that uh, Clint brought that up about the man with the paint gun. But uh, two weeks ago, we lost one of the best bottomland hardwood foresters that I've ever known. And not because he had five PhDs, it's because he could run a paint gun like no other human being I've ever seen. He's, and he ran the paint gun on every cut we've ever done on Five Oaks. And his name was John Ray Lewis. Worked for Kent Cormier and Cormier Forestry, and uh, I'm just glad he's in heaven. It it uh it was really hard on all of us, but you could say anything on this program, Clint. But listen, the man with the paint gun's the only one that matters. Well, speaking of that, I mean, we're talking about active management uh, as opposed to just letting it sit. Have you ever run across a stand? Do you run across stands regularly where you walk up and you say, "All you need to do is sit back and enjoy it." I mean, is there stuff that people just need to leave alone? Uh, it depends on where we are in that successional, you know, successional phases that I talk about. Mm-hmm. See, we, we've got hundreds of people coming to us with this 25, 30-year-old WRP, bottomland reforestation. And we're, we're beginning to get to the point where we can, but a lot of it's just basically, you know, pre-commercial thinning type stuff. But as I, as I tell you, let me give you a couple of parameters that we set years ago. This was early 2000s. And we kind of talked about basal area and future desired conditions of a bottomland hardwood. Not that this will mean anything, but it may incorporate someone to ask questions to the forester that they would hire. So we're, we're really like in a, in a perfect world, we'd like to target like 60 to 80% canopy cover. Mm-hmm. Okay. What would merit a cut would be greater than 90% canopy cover. We like about 70 to 90 square foot basal area. What would merit a cut would be greater than 100% or 100 square foot of basal area. And I would tell you that thus since 20 years of really, I mean, we've been hammering on five of 20 years on the, these green trees. If it's over 110 basal area, then we usually do a two-step or two-phase, uh, what we call a two-entry cut. So, it's usually a lot a highly stocked uh, stands of overcup, and we're in there real tight, and we're going to tear up more than we can. So we'll come in and we'll we'll hammer it down to about ninety, and then we'll wait seven or eight, ten years later, we'll come in and hit it again, and we'll put it on a good trajectory for regeneration in those stands. But so again, everyone's created different, you know. We this thing gets uh, these these uh, assessment models that we built years ago for working on government lands. They're really good guidelines, and my forester is kind of a he's kind of a guy that's just private sector guy that works on private and, and timberlands. But he even recognizes that there's a lot of merit to looking at all these different variables in these matrices. That you know what would what would merit a cut in a ground cover less than twenty percent ground cover. What, what would we really be shooting for? Greater than 20 up to 50. I, I personally, in the duck woods, I like 60. That's when I really see the waterfowl respond. We want 30 to 50% hard mass species, oak hickory. And what would merit that would be less than 20%. Uh, so there's all these different variables from how many cavity trees that's greater than four inches of leaf per 10 acres. And, you know, just, just neat things that all the creatures out there in the world that need uh, that rely on those different to fill their life history requirements. We're trying to fill them through nibbling around with a chainsaw. 
Mm. I like what you're saying. Cause I mean, I've seen all these things on my property. I mean, some of these, these cavity trees and I'm, I'm staring at them going, I know that's important, but you know, and it's not merchantable, you know, yeah. it's hollow and they gonna they gonna pile it up on the piles, what they're going to do and burn it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's important for the wildlife. Yeah. yeah. So do you have a, a favorite type of, of management, whether that be even aged, uneven aged? I mean, do you have something you go with or is it always this guy? It depends kind of thing. Well, if it's just good, good bottom land hardwood, I'm an uneven age kind of guy. And I lean heavy on single tree when it's really good stand anyway. If there's a lot of undesirable, what me and you and Clint would call thickets, it was with undesirable species that I wasn't really trying to target for my wildlife. You know, group selection, small, less than an acre group selections, and then one to three acre patch cuts. That's kind of, that's what I've made the, uh, George Dunklin and I have made the woods kill ducks every day using that that formula in our particular uh, deer, turkey, and duck focus, okay? So a guy on a refuge wouldn't focus the same way as we would. And at certain point, we were looking at some of the tracks the other day. We won't be able to use that type focus either because these stands are getting older, so we're going to have to start thinking regeneration. So we're going to be thinking about what? you know, a little bit bigger clear cuts or shelter wood or seed tree cuts. So, you know, it's a combination. And, and I let the foresters really dictate to me what it is, but I know what I'm looking for when I'm out there for my years of research that I'm looking at for those species that I'm targeting. And then we try to really reincorporate these different philosophies that we've had. I had mentioned this to you the other day and uh, one of my good friends, Jeff Denman, uh, worked for Fish and Wildlife for years now. He's been working over in this part of the world for the Forest Stewards Guild. And I did a couple of contracts with them on different properties. And they've put out uh, some publications in your guys' part of the world. And they're, they send in the right message as far as I can read and, and listen. I'd like to get to know some of these fellows over in that part of the world better. But, you know, maintaining 5 to 10% later succession climax forest in the woods and, and all this thing, all we're talking about is ecosystem-based management. They don't necessarily spell it out as that, but if you're trying to maintain heterogeneity, which means different age classes, different size classes, different tree species composition across a large-scale riverine bottomland hardwood tract, then you're doing ecosystem-based management, okay? So, you know, kind of in summary of that would be, Every single acre. Remember what I said. This is mine and George Duncan's rule from 2003. We're going to make every acre the highest and best use on the property. And we've used that motto with every other person that we've worked on across the United States and Argentina. And it just seems to, if you try to fight the system, the system will win. But if you work, if you, if you work with it, then, and let me give you a good instance of that. I wanted to incorporate this and in. I made me some notes yesterday. Today, in our riverine wetlands, we're seeing drastic composition change due to hydrology alterations by the core and us being the human beings, okay? So every time a parking lot in Walmart's built in downtown Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, the runoff's faster down to the river, right? Right. More ditches are dug, more parking lots are built more water's coming. We're dealing with a 12-inch rain. It rained 12 inches in Stockgard and 20 inches in, in Dumas. I've never, only twice, I think, in 50 years has there been a 20-inch rain right here in this local basin. So it comes faster. 
it's more frequent and it's damaging the composition of the floodplain forest. I'm not talking about just a green tree reservoir. I'm talking about the floodplain forest of the white, the cash, the black, however many over in Georgia, Alabama, and Florida, however many in Louisiana, and Mississippi. We're in a different climate. I'm not a climate change kind of dude, you know, but we're in a definite 10 year different pattern of weather. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, we all recognize that. And so if you go into those stands that were in initiated in not all of 50 years ago, 60, 70, 80 years ago, and you take them down today and try to regenerate, not all oak. You know what you're going to regenerate? Overcup oak, bitter pecan. Because the hydrology's changed. So I don't think near the people in the world recognize subtle hydrologic changes in a floodplain forest can put your forest, once you cut it, on a totally different trajectory. And that means more overcut bitter pecan and less red oak if it's more frequently and longer duration flooding. What I'm hearing you say is going back to that analogy you gave earlier is you see what happens when a, when a beaver, you know, <laughs> yeah, puts up a dam and it, how it changes that, that little ecosystem right there around that beaver pond. And that's it. That is, and if I'm understanding you correctly, that is a change in the hydrology. Absolutely. And so you're seeing the same thing, but at a much wider scale. So you have to be very cognizant of what may have happened since your trees have been established so that you don't change the ecosystem. Especially, uh, in, especially in a floodplain situation like, you yeah. know, the Tom Bigby waterway or somewhere, somewhere Mississippi between the levees, uh, outside the levees. And, and, and this is man induced hydrologic change is what my main point was. But to think, you know, not only, well, you gave me an example that this certain area that you're really excited about was not necessarily as dry when you were a child as it is now because something happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've I've seen stands of trees in the MAV that I had a cypress tree and a striped oak or a nut all oaks, what most people call it, sitting side by side. The 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 cypress tree was several hundred years old and the nut all was 40 or 50 years old. Why do you think that could, how could that oak tree live where that cypress tree did? They had a ditch dug down the middle of that wetland and that, that acorn got in there from a squirrel or flood or whatever it initiated in that stand, but the hydrology had changed to what it could survive where the cypress tree lived. Okay. I think that should explain it to most, most, most guys, you know, they know what a cypress tree or cattail is in a wetland. It's wet. Yeah. Um, the yeah. other oaks live up the hill, but so. Yeah. Typically what we'd see is like a cypress and then you just start hitting that transition. You hit the overcup and bitter pecan and those little flats. And then as you get yep. up a little bit more elevation, you hit the nut all. That's right. That's exactly and, uh, the floodplain zonation of, of that. What we've studied for decades and decades. And so all I'm saying, what I call that when I call it zone shifting in a green tree reservoir, because man does the watering of a green tree reservoir through a pump. So it shifts zones, so the overcup walks up the hill, takes out the nut all because the nut all died because you didn't have the hydrology right because it was wet. getting too wet too long. Yep. yep, got me. But we're seeing that on a on a a whole Mississippi Valley scale, and that's very concerning to me because of the loss of red oak and recruitment of more of the the you know white oak species and even cypress. To bring it back to the management perspective, I, I 
I think the short explanation for a normal size landowner is going to be manage for what your site can do. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, don't, you know, focus on what it's best at, not sit there and try to fight mother nature and make it do something that it's not going to do. Let me ask you this. The stand that you're wanting to put in a longleaf pine, historically was that longleaf pine savanna or ecosystem? And and that's the question, you know, I mean, that's, that's the question I'm trying to answer right now. I've got the stand of loblolly that I want. It's even age loblolly. I want to convert it to uneven age longleaf, but I don't want to put longleaf in there if that's not what should be there. Okay, so, well, the soil. The soils will dictate whether it, it likes it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it all goes back to the soil. I heard y'all talk a little bit about soil health, and that's a big, 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 big topic. And we've been really focusing on soil health for reforestation the last five years because it's hard for anybody, for me to believe that we spend the number of dollars in reforestation that we do, and we do very little soil amendments when the ground has been in agriculture for, you know, since the 60s. Mm-hmm. So even down to the ectomycorrhiza that the red oaks need to, to basically have a relationship and take up nutrients better in the soil. You know, we're pouring all that kind of stuff in the ground to try to make the trees go better. We're putting biostimulants over them because of the, the micro uh, nutrients are so poor in the soil. So it all goes back to the highest and best use and what it was before. And can you get it back there or do you need to, know what you got now because of alterations in the hydrology or the soils or what well jody i think we could probably talk about this until the cows come home yeah and and i'd be happy to do it but for today's show we are running out of time man i i tell you what one thing main thing i've learned today is that you need to have somebody who understands ask the questions to get you the right people in place you know, if you're trying to hire that forester, what questions do you need to ask them? I don't even, you know, I want to go to somebody like you and let you ask that forester those questions because you know what, what you need to ask. So if somebody does want to reach out to you directly and work through Ecosystems Protection Service to do this kind of thing, plug into this network of providers that you've got, how can they reach out to you and, and, and where can they go to get some more information, uh, whether it's on your company or on the research you're doing and, and everything you're involved in? Yeah, I, I've been really directing everyone to the uh, Five Oaks Ag uh, Research and Education Center website. I want to start building a forum with people and interested in bottomland hardwood management and the resources and waterfowl management, all these different things that we're doing so they can visit that site. My email is jpagan, P-A-G-A-N, at eco-sbs.com, and my phone number is 870-830-5742. And I'd be more than happy to talk to anybody. But listen, there are uh, enormous amount of educated, knowledgeable people in the world. I have a lot of contacts in the southeast, all over from fisheries biologists to uh, foresters and a lot of mechanical guys and uh i'll tell you i really appreciate you guys asking me to to speak with you today and i really admire you for doing these type podcasts because it's not a rant and a rave it's trying to help people do the right thing in a world that everybody wants to use technology to uh focus on learning and and that's good and great but it's still boots on the ground that's what i'll leave y'all with boots on the ground and competent people that are knowledgeable and educated in those decision making processes that help the landowner make the right decision 
Well, Jody, it's been a pleasure, man. We appreciate you joining us. And, and next yes, time sir. we come up on some, some hardwood management, uh, our next question, I know who to call, man. We appreciate it. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Y'all have a good day. All right. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Photonist Defense is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. These ultralight, ultra-compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent halo, and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available. Check them out. Photonist Defense, Masters of Darkness. And also brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. You can visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also Intercoastal Safaris. So you're at the beach and fishing isn't quite your thing? That's fine. Let's head one hour north of Panama City Beach and shoot some pigs. Intercoastal Safaris has night vision and all-you-can-shoot ammo. And, yep, they're shooting ARs. There's no trophy fees and no bag limits. Night vision pig hunts with AR-15s one hour north of the Emerald Coast. Head over to intercoastalsafaris.com to find out more. Clint, I think Jody knows a thing or two about bottomland hardwoods. Yeah, that was uh, (laughs) overwhelming to say the least. It felt like it was just like the – setting us up for the sequel like some of these shows i watch there's just yeah. so much out there we just gotta keep on plugging yeah he sounds like i mean that's the kind of guy i'd love to just walk through the woods with you know because he can oh, tell yeah. you so much about things that you've walked past and never knew you were you know you never knew what you were looking at even be a lot of fun to look but i mean the thing i took away from this though is that hardwood specifically and, and specifically bottomland hardwoods but hardwoods in general like if you make a mistake it's not something you can just go fix. No, it's, it's, you got to start off with a good plan and, you know, not running there like a bull in a China shop and start cutting and harvesting and doing all this, because if you mess it up, you put too much sunlight on the ground or, you know, things like that. And you're trying to promote shade tolerant species like Oak and you go in there and over thin it. You're just going to end up with a bunch of thick patches of, of the species you didn't want and epicormic branches on the Oaks and, all kind of stuff that, that you didn't want because you just, you move too fast and, and without a good plan. And it, it, that's something that takes decades to fix itself. Yep. Decades to fix itself. And I mean, man, just hearing how much knowledge Jody has and then, you know, and then him saying, but I don't know everything. And I still go to the providers and I still go to my network of people for the forester, for the engineer, you know, and, that he's able to say, look, I understand this, but I'm still giving it to this other guy who understands the forestry aspect in the same way I understand this eco ecosystem-based management. You got to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, that know how to manage this and also have your best interests at heart. I think that that's, that's my main takeaway from this show. Folks, that's going to wrap it up this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a show topic, that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time.
This week's show is brought to you by First South Farm Credit. First South Farm Credit can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land. To find out how First South can help you, visit their website at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They are an equal housing lender. And also SunSouth, own the best for less. Visit SunSouth for quality John Deere equipment you've been dreaming of or visit sunsouth.com. SunSouth, for those that do. And also brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. You can visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also Brush Clearing Services. Check out their full line of property and land services at brushclearingservices.com or call them at 706-718-1690. And also Pyramid Air. At Pyramid Air, they believe air guns are for everyone, from big game hunting to fun trigger time to firearm training. Big selection, fast shipping, the air gun experts. Find out more at pyramidair.com. And also, Photonist Defense is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. These ultralight, ultra-compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent halo, and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available. Check them out. Photonist Defense, Masters of Darkness. 